Greetings, listeners, and welcome back. In case you're just joining us, you're coming in on the second part of our episode on Henry A. Wallace, the American politician, businessman, and scientist farmer who served as vice president and secretary of agriculture in the 1940s. Where we last left, I think Joe was just about to get into talking a bit about Henry's wife, Elo. So without further ado, let's just jump back into things. So that was kind of where his wife came in. Uh, she graciously suffered the public role pressed upon her as Washington hostess and occasional campaigner. Uh, with unassuming personal charm, Mrs. Wallace stood in reception lines and often attended functions as a substitute for Mrs. Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, no less. Um, but she refused to give interviews or make speeches, which is really interesting because Henry was a speeches guy. That's kind of what he's going to get to be known for as uh, secretary of agriculture and vice president. Um, but yeah, Ilo was really sort of his other half while he was in Washington, while he was working as the secretary of agriculture, like there was a lot of that. And I think like, there's kind of been like, there's kind of this theory that Mr. Smith goes to Washington is loosely based on Henry, which is interesting. Um, was that movie about again? It's about a guy named Mr. Smith who goes to Washington. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's sort of a naive political outsider who fights against the, the, the Beltway insiders, as it were. You know, just like Donald Trump. Hmm. Just came to drain the swamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Henry was trying to drain the swamp in his own way. Um, although he had a bit of a swamp of his own. Um, so, oh, you know, that whole theosophy man. thing? Yeah. 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 Sounded cool. Um, so uh, one of the one of the big names in theosophy that uh, Henry corresponded was with was a, a Russian man named Nicholas Rorick. And uh, Rorick was a very interesting guy. He was mostly known as a painter. Um, he actually created the sets and costumes for uh, the ballet premiere uh, of Stravinsky's Rites of Spring. So he was a big, mm. big mucky muck in, in the art scene in Moscow before the revolution. Um, Seems like he didn't necessarily agree with the revolution because he left for New York. Who knows who his friends were? Um, but he moved to New York. And while he was sort of, you know, doing theater and painting, uh, he found some rich benefactors, not Henry this time, interestingly enough, but mostly New York guys. Um, no Rockefellers or anyone like that, but there were a few. And they would kind of finance his trips to India and Tibet, where he would translate texts in theory um and he sort of created this this theosophic doctrine called agni yoga uh, which was a mix of hinduism tibetan buddhism and christianity um he wrote in it about it in books called stuff like fiery stronghold and flame in chalice so this was a guy who was in the fire that's those are good titles that sounds like those could have been trump era uh memoirs yeah. <laughs> well it isn't agni fire in like sanskrit or something that's why they call it the agni kai and um uh avatar oh <laughs> i like just it trying to become a firebender maybe that oh, was his real goal oh. um, <laughs> okay okay theosophy yeah you got my he, attention yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> and soon they'll have your curiosity too um wes th this this will make you really go gaga um this uh -huh. is like some of the samples of the letters wallace wrote to rorick henry oh wrote God. to rorick sorry i have wallace in here sometimes because i did a lot of um copy and pasting but i did <laughs> edit things enough that we don't have to worry uh but Absolutely. uh this is like an excerpt from a letter 
Long have I been aware of the fra occasional fragrance from the other world, which is the real world. But now I must live in the outer world and at the same time make over my mind and body to serve as fit instruments for the Lord of Justice. Okay, okay. The outer right. world. Yeah, that was kind of another thing with theosophy was there is sort of this belief that, again, from Vedic religions that most, or and a bit of like, again, like if you look at Neoplatonism, that was sort of the Gnostic Gospels and stuff like that, um, or the, the stuff that inspired the Gnostic Gospels. Or was inspired by i don't know i'm okay. probably fucking that up <laughs> um basically there's this idea that most of the material world is like a false fake world of illusions yeah yeah, yeah. and the real the real you have to kind of you have to kind of recognize it as an illusion and move past it to find the true god essentially which the real world often emanates from uh gnostic gospel gnosticism okay. goes one further and says no there's a fake god and you got to watch out for that guy too but this was more just like, yeah, most of the world's kind of an illusion, uh, you know, dreamed by desire and suffering and all that stuff. And you have to get past that. You have to understand this stuff and fight for them and, and, you know, see past, you know, find enlightenment and all that. Okay. Um, yeah, I could, I could roll with that for a religious basis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, it makes sense to me in a yeah, mm -hmm, fundamental mm -hmm. way. <clears throat> Craig's just been a theosophist this whole time and he hasn't told Maybe. us. Maybe. Well, no, I think it's tapping in, like all, obviously, um, it taps into elements that are, you know, like more mystical yeah. or like ancient spirituality as opposed yeah. to a religion based. And that's what makes religion work. Well, that's I think what makes human belief systems work and mm -hmm. i think like a lot of the stuff clearly like henry's worldview was all about like being part of a greater whole and recognizing you know i think like especially if you're going to study uh nature you're going to quickly realize like oh like nature doesn't give a fuck about humans really like nature is just like a whole thing and we're just one part of it and like just an in yeah it's a symphony mm. that's like delicately balanced and kind of orchestrated Sounds through and i things we don't understand and we're just a, it's a small part of it right that yeah. sounding like rude existentialism well i mean you know that's like that's we should we should have an episode about that i think like yeah in a way like the eastern religions the understanding of eastern religions uh, kind of paved the way for existentialism to kind of flower into its own in western thought but um also like the idea of sort of being like i am i am just a, a vessel for divine energies or whatever. And my short time on earth here is to sort of like perfect do that something, vessel. but like I am beyond me, you know, like, yes, this me as a, as a person and an individual will eventually cease, but my energy will radiate out. And what I do now, while I have this, this vessel matters. And I think you can really see that in what Henry was going for. Like he yeah. was a fighter and he like, definitely like, believe, like he says, like, make over my mind and body to serve as fit instruments for the Lord of justice. Like he's talking about like, I want, I, I need this belief to sort of push me forward and believe in something bigger than myself, not just in the sense of like a movement or whatever, but a sort of like a God and a feeling that's bigger than himself and doesn't like look at him and go, you're the end all and be all like you're, but that you are part of this plan. And that can really be comforting to someone too. Right. And really yeah. bring, push them into doing stuff like 
going to fucking Washington when they fucking hate it and they hate mm-hmm. all these fucking phonies <laughs> and these fucking fat cats and these American fascists and like push for the better thing and and not be afraid to like make people mad or like not be friendly with everyone because you know you're part of this this lord you're you're being backed by this lord of justice who will see to it that you are you are his sword or whatever so yeah yeah okay righteous um yeah speaking of swords uh henry eventually kind of started hanging out with rorick and what he did was he was like hey do you want to um do some stuff for the department of agriculture and rorick was like yeah fuck hell that. yeah and i go to the gobi <laughs> desert and henry was like well what are you gonna do there he's like well we're gonna get like drought resistant grasses and stuff and we're gonna study them Yes. And hopefully we can do that. And Henry was like, that sounds really cool. Okay, here's some money and stuff. And he was like, hey, uh, FDR, I'm going to do this. And FDR was like, yeah, hell yeah. Um, I'm talking to a mystic. You know, it's all, it's all cool. We're all doing this right now. It was the 30s. Huh. It was a different time. Um, but then like uh, Rorick goes over there and they start getting reports back that he's like hired a, a, a band of armed Cossacks. And they're going to places they shouldn't be crossing borders. Uh, there's a lot of like countries that are getting angry <laughs> in the, the Gobi desert is in like, um, you know, a, a, a Eurasia. It's sort of a part like mostly in Asia, but it's also like kind of parts of it are, are Russian territory and all that stuff. So okay. there's a lot of like people being like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He is not looking at grass. Huh. Um, so there's sort of a lot of rumors. Um, apparently some believe he was trying to overthrow the Soviet union. I don't know why he was doing that in the Gobi desert. Uh, the other big thing is that he was looking for, uh, maybe, uh, evidence of Jesus or evidence of the second coming, uh, religious (laughs) artifacts, that kind of stuff. Uh, nobody really knows. He was kind of a wild card. So a little cryptic, a little crypto corn. (laughs) Oh, Rorick. <laughs> yeah, this guy was a real interesting character. Like, I think another guy we could, another, like, banana within a banana, you know? <laughs> um, but basically, once they were like, all right, he's not helping us, uh, Henry was like, okay, you got to come home, and uh, we're going to we're gonna get the IRS to audit you, because <laughs> I, you embarrassed me. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, super- that didn't, that didn't exactly help. And uh, they did have a bunch of correspondence and there was some uh, uh, Henry said some things about people in those letters <laughs> and maybe some slightly racist language uh, from the, Henry. Yeah, I know. Right. Henry um, about Asians um, that uh, Henry or it's hard to say They like, again, like they they communicated in very florid and poetic language. So. It was one of those things where Rorick eventually used those letters against Henry later. Um, and he, he didn't, he didn't use them. He sold them. He was, he needed money. So those uh, letters ended up in, in Henry's enemy's hands, but still um, Henry's kind of a whirlwind dynamo. He's new de- He's wheeling and new dealing as it were. He's making a farming a, a better place while also, uh, you know, uh, meeting with labor leaders, meeting with uh, African-American, Latino and Jewish activists and taking that to Roosevelt and being like, this is what these groups want. Like, this is how we're going to get their votes. Uh, and FDR is like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Okay. I can do that. That other thing. Um, the bankers don't want that and I can't piss them off either. So I'm going to do the first thing, but not the second thing. See ya. Mm-hmm. Um, that was sort of their relationship. 
Um, like I said, like FDR was sort of running this team of rivals, as it were. Um, but uh, Roosevelt's going for his third term and he needs his boy, Henry. He's like, hey, yo. Let's do it. One more time. Yo. One more ride. We're going to do another one. We're going to do a third one. Henry's like, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. FDR is like, but what if? What if you were my vice president? And Henry's like, no. He's like, yeah. Yeah, dude. No, I I want you to be my vice president. Like, we're going for the real one this time. And, and Henry was like, hell yeah. Wait, hell wait, yeah. Me with all my aloofness? Yeah, with all my aloofness and my <laughs> and my poetry and my my corn. It's like Henry, oh, no, we, we need you. We need Step the corn. Up. Right. Step the up. Corn. <laughs> yeah. Bring corn to the whole world. Bring the New Deal mm-hmm. corn to the whole world. And uh yeah, Henry did it, and uh people were not happy. Um, why you know, not? Way too aloof. They hated it. Too aloof. Uh, I thought the people it, loved Henry. Too corny. And yeah. that's where the saying, you're too corny came from. Exactly. Yeah. It came from Henry Wallace. <laughs> he started that. He was like, and he was like, if people call me corny, then that's who I am. I'm the corniest man alive. That's, I love corn. I'm, I'm corny. Call me corny. Um, and so, yeah, they, um, they started pushing. Uh, as these sort of letters that he'd sent to Rorick started like circulating in circles and the press was like, Hey, we got these letters, like we're going to publish them. Uh, FDR uh, had clearly already kind of thought of this and he was like, yeah, okay. If you guys publish those letters, um, I have a bunch of letters from uh, my Republican rival, Wendell Wilkie uh, that are very sexy and are not to his wife. What are you guys going to do about that? And uh, the Republicans were like, okay, all right. All right. Gentlemen's agreement. Gentlemen's agreement. We will not release. Um, so um, even then, you know, there were Democrats within Walt uh, Henry's own party that didn't like him. Uh, you know, they didn't like his corn. They didn't like his theosophy. They didn't like his uh, new dealing. Uh, but, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt came to the convention in 1940 and said, elect Henry Wallace. And they listened because everybody loves Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah! So he won. And so they and, did. Yeah. Well, the, so 1940, he's on the ticket for 1941. Um, and uh, despite this, they're like, "Okay, so Henry, you won. Please don't give your victory speech here. Please go home and do it later." He's like, "All right, I'll do that." And he goes home, and in the speech, he calls the Republican Party the party of appeasement. Which, uh, again, as like we're about to get into World War II and Hitler's like raging across Germany is like, that's basically saying like the Republican Party is, is, is down with the fascists, which yeah. is no longer a thing. Unfortunately, it's no longer 1936 and that's not cool. <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah. And again, he brings with him all his uh, pinko communist buddies who are his speechwriters, his chief of staff. And uh, unfortunately, who were later exposed as actual Soviet spies, but um, they were still doing good work. Um, and uh, yeah, he he spies, went hard. Spies are highly motivated. Yeah, exactly, they, exactly. Well, and it's get like them in that position, like, hey, they will yeah. work their butts off. There was they another go, guy. They go the extra mile to fit in. There really? was another guy. Um, good fit is what I believe they say in the industry. Yeah, that's what they say. Spies, good fit. It's yeah, good fit. Uh, there was another guy who was in FDR's inner circle, Harry Dexter White, who turned out to literally also be a Soviet agent. So it wasn't like wasn't like yeah. Henry was the only one. Okay, maybe people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Hmm. But it's kind of sad when the like the 
the fork in the road that's not taken that could have like unfolded a whole new trajectory was actually just like littered with spies from a different country <laughs> yeah, like yeah right. you know, committing i don't know well, who knows yeah you know like i think and who like, knows that the the cabinets that did make it in didn't have just as many spies i mean that listen, were never found you all know my politics um uh i think like you can't it's not like there weren't like american spies in the no, no, Politburo. Not. Like that's this is just part of being a, a government at this time is having spies and dealing but with But do spies. you think yeah. but do you think the American spies were the reason why you know, I don't know, why Marxism Leninism got turned into Stalinism? For <laughs> yes, example? that's what, exactly what I think. I don't think it's I don't think it's complicated at all. I think the American stu- spies clearly like whispered in Stalin's ear and he listened to them. <laughs> buddy, more, buddy, buddy, Kill more. that barrier guy. Yeah. Let him do what he wants. Hey, Hey, you know, Ukraine, you should kill a bunch of them. You should just this go is, hard on them. Yeah. This gulag needs to be at least three times as big. Yeah. You gotta make a bigger group. Dude, you could totally show them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's show these. Let's show these guys what exile really means. And Salim was just like, "Well, I wasn't going to do any of this before, but now I'm definitely going to do it." That's exactly how it happened. All my closest confidants. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, nevertheless, uh, Henry does become vice president, and uh, he wastes no time. Uh, it's 1941, early 1941. Um, and uh, there's a big hot debate on whether America should enter the war. And this was a thing that, again, the Republicans and Democrats were not unified on. There were Democrats uh, that were, you know, we should stay out of it. We should not do anything. We don't want to get involved. There were Republicans who were like, no, 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 we need to fight this threat. Um, it was often along progressive and conservative lines, but it wasn't always the case. And um, I think another important part of that that we should know before we get into this more is not everyone was like, yeah, we need to stop the fascists because they're bad. And, and, uh, and we want the whole world to be free and we don't want them running the world. There were people uh, who were like, no, 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 we need to get involved in this war because America needs to run the world. We need an American. Uh, let's not say Reich because that's unpopular, but we need America to be in charge in the same way that Hitler wants Germany to be in charge. Um you know, like I think the famous example is Henry Luce, who was the founder of Time, Life, and Fortune, the magazines we all know and love and never get mad at. Um, and he explicitly wrote this thing called the American Century, where he argued that um, America should be basically enter into a partnership with the British Empire to run the world. And he basically said it was like, yeah, because I want to be rich and this will make me richer. And that's a good thing because we need people who are self-interested and just want to get richer because they're the people that know how to run the world. He wrote this in a thing called uh, the American century was an editorial piece. It's quite famous. You can look it up. We'll have links, etc. Um, it was the hottest. It was the hottest take of its time. It was, it was pretty hot. Um, again, there were also people that were like, we should not get involved because it's none of our fucking business. And we don't want anything to do with all those people in Middle East or Africa or wherever that are getting run over by the fascists. We don't care what happens to the Jews. We shouldn't take Jewish refugees was another part of their angle. They were like, we should not be involved because we should be worried about Americans. That's who we should be worried about. And only Americans with certain skin colors, basically. 
So this wasn't just like a bunch of people. And, and that's not also to say that everyone who was pro intervention was like, yeah, we got to be running the world. Um, Henry, for example, was like, uh, no, we, we, we want to fight the fascists and we want to fight the fascists because they're bad and their ideology is bad. And we can't let that same thing happen in America. And it could happen in America. And here's why. And he was not shy about that. And that's where this episode gets its title. Uh, I called this section Pres- Vice President Wallace, American Anti-Fascist. Um, <clears throat> uh, Henry was explicit. Um, at first, he didn't use the word American fascism. That came later. But he wrote these two speeches. He, he was a big orator. He would give speeches. He would go around the country uh, meeting these groups, giving speeches, um, talking to Roosevelt. And he has two speeches that are his most famous that you can find on the internet. Um, We'll include links to sort of the transcripts and the audio of them. Uh, The first one is called The Price of the Free World Victory. And the second one is called Century of the Common Man. And they both were very, they contained a lot of the same elements. He used a lot of those phrases in both of the speeches. But um, the basic pitch was like, uh, we need to win this war because we need to secure democracy and peace throughout the whole world. We don't need a new imperialism. We don't need a new British empire. Anglo-American dominance is a bad idea. He said that. Um, one of the quotes is, um, uh, those who write the peace must think of the whole world. There can be no privileged peoples. We ourselves in the United States are no more a master race than the Nazis. Um, and then the, the famous quote, of course, uh, which was playing on Henry Luce's idea of the American century and rebutting it. He said, I say that the century that will come out of this war can be and must be the century of the common man. If we really believe we are fighting for a people's peace, all the rest becomes emu. Um, and I don't know if you guys know, do you guys know Fanfare for the Common Man? I think so. I think it played in one of the, the docs, but I'm yeah. looking it up right now. It's also very sure famous. Like they've used it in commercials now at this yeah. point. It gets played at a lot of football games and stuff. And like, it's a very like, it's almost a very American inspirational, thing, yeah. like, yeah. Um, so that's written by Aaron Copeland, who is a Jewish uh, composer whose parents escaped the Holocaust. Um, and he wrote it. He was inspired by that speech to write this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often played in the background of the recordings of Henry's speeches. Um, it's very good. It's, you know, you, yeah. everyone knows it. Like if, when you hear yeah. it, you're like, it's like, boom, do, 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 do. It's, yeah, yeah. It's got a, it's got a very like, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking Every, of like Sunday, Sunday afternoon football. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. Or like, well, Sunday afternoon football slash like everybody standing with their hat over their hand for the American yes. flag. It's a very um, it's it is like it's something that like yeah. countless like uh you know like action films have ripped off for the scene mm-hmm. where the scene where the hero like makes America safe from terrorists or whatever. <laughs> um so yeah, but it was inspired by a guy who didn't believe in any of that. <clears throat> so into, oh, well, <laughs> he did. He was absolutely a, an American and a, a a patriotic American, but he believed that that everybody should get what America had. Um, and FDR agreed with him. FDR was like, Hey, yo, Henry, you've been doing great as vice president. You know what else you should do? And Henry's like, what's that? He's like, you should be in charge of securing materials for the war. And Henry was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I love that. I love securing materials. And 
He did. He became head of the oh, board right. of economic warfare, um, basically putting him in charge of like finding resources and supplies, materials. Uh, you know, rubber was a big one at the time. Uh, quinine for malaria was another one they were and and you know they couldn't get them from europe anymore which was typically where america got a lot of its stuff um, because europe was just getting like ripped to shreds so one of the things henry said was like actually you know what we should do uh we should get uh more involved in latin american countries and not in a like colonial way he was like we should pay them to give us rubber and medicines and all this stuff like there's lots of there's a whole bunch of materials in latin america like and not only did he say that he was like here's the other thing and fdr was like what what's the other thing and he was like we should pay them the same as american workers and what? FDR was like yes yes i love this i love this we are going to do that unfortunately a lot of other people did not agree with that and uh, had interests in Latin America and other places that Henry was trying to make the workers have a better life, um, including inside America. And uh, they started to fight him. And some of them were in FDR's cabinet, like Secretary of Commerce, Jesse Jones. What did he have to say? Uh, so Jesse Jones... Didn't have a lot to say. Uh, he was a Republican real estate mogul from Texas. He was basically everything Henry wasn't. Um, and he was just like, no, like, we're not going to do that. That's dumb. I'm, 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 and he was like, you know, he didn't like Henry. He didn't like his attitude. He didn't like his whole social gospel thing. So unfortunately, because he was a secretary of commerce, he signed all the checks. So he would just basically be like, oh, you need mm -hmm. that check tomorrow. Well, I'll get to it next week. Oh, you need mm. like, you need these shipments like approved. You need us to pay Latin American workers more. Well, yeah, I'm getting to it, man. Don't rush me. I'm fucking, uh, I'm, I got, I got a back nine to finish here. Hold on. That's interesting. <clears throat> Cause doesn't Henry, he later becomes secretary of commerce, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. interesting. Um, so this is like a big fight. Um, and Henry is just like, I fuck you, dude. Like, I don't need this shit. Um, I'm trying to actually, you know, secure a piece and peace is more important to me than your fucking checkbook and your buddies making extra money. So I am gonna take you to church. Uh, he would basically <laughs> started, um, sending complaints, like official complaints, like 28 pages of complaints to the Senate board of appropriations, which was in charge of like appropriating materials for the war, like the larger appropriations committee is still a thing in the Senate and it's important. Um, and you know, he was like, Oh, this guy is uh doing obstructionist tactics and backdoor complaining, which I love. How do you backdoor? Backdoor, yeah, what's backdoor complaining? Sounds crafty though. And yeah, that just that unfortunately, just Jesse Jones was like, All right, this guy wants to tango. Okay, well, um, he started bringing he started getting other senators to like you know, like put holds on materials and like, you know, like wow. use the bureaucracy, do all the stuff that Henry really didn't like to do. Just coming um, up the works. And that's kind of the thing is like Henry never really had learned how to do all this stuff. And unfortunately, when you're at that level of power, it becomes much more like vital to the job, uh, whether that's good or bad. And uh, one of his allies was, of course, Senator Robert Taft, who, if you know what the Taft-Hartley Act is, was one of the acts that basically made it impossible for unions to strike without a billion preconditions. Um, uh, it gutted the nice. power of labor. Um, nice yeah. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> thanks a lot. And uh, of course, the other thing he did was get um, 
conservative media, not even conservative media, just like Henry Luce's magazines, New York Times, places like that to be like, ah, I don't know about this Wallace guy. It's kind of kind of a nut, right? Think about how nutty he is. You know, he had that mm. Russian dude. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So this kind of spirals out of control. Everyone's talking about it. And FDR is like, we got a fucking war here, guys. Like, I just, I, I need you to stop. I don't have time to get in there and decide who's right and wrong. So Henry, unfortunately, uh, we're going to make you subordinate to this other thing. Um, and that's going to be run by this guy named Leo Crowley, who is, of course, a buddy of Joe's. Uh, and unfortunately that kind of ended uh how much power uh henry had which sucks because that was actually the most well maybe it doesn't suck because that was the most power a vice president ever had right uh was yeah that's what i remember hearing the bew which um you know good for henry but maybe if you'll think of a lot of other vice presidents maybe it was a good thing that they also limited the vice president's power going forward Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but yeah (laughs) and you know fdr was like listen man like I didn't do that because I wanted to. It was something I had to do. Uh, you were making a lot of noise. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you should make more noise. I think you should go around the country and keep doing what you were already doing. Um, so Henry starts touring around. And this is where the whole idea of American fascism starts to come into his speeches and his language and his organizing. Um, at a press conference in Detroit in 1943, uh, he was talking to reporters and he said, We will not be satisfied with a peace which will merely lead us from concentration camps and mass murder of fascism to an international jungle of gangster governments operated behind the scenes by power-crazed, money-mad imperialists. Nor is our choice between Americanized fascism and the restoration of pre-war scarcity and unemployment. Our choice is between democracy for everybody or for the few. I liked it. I mean, yeah, definitely got away with words and and sound clips. And a very, like, very, like, 30s 40s way of speaking but yeah you, you're like okay and this is again like this is all stuff that like bernie sanders has said yeah. you know other people like that have sort of like made overtures to i mean that's the thing is like none of the stuff he's saying has gone away you know that's like the crazy part is like all the stuff he's like fighting against is still a problem um yeah and then uh the of course the people who already didn't like him didn't take kindly to this and New York Times uh, editorial board started shooting back and they said, oh, well, the people who belong to these powerful groups may be short-sighted and behind the times and not as well-advanced in their social thinking as is Mr. Wallace, but they are not fascists. And to call them fascists is dangerous nonsense. Mm. Them fighting words. Yeah. Fascist. Um, Yeah, I think this is an interesting one because I think like, Obviously, talking about fascists and calling people fascists has come back into vogue. And uh, I, you know, I think like, I think like he was clearly trying to draw blood and kind of trying to, um, you know, throw some fists and like really like shake things up rhetorically. But like, yeah, I don't know if everybody he called a fascist was would technically be a fascist in the classical sense. Not that like that doesn't mean they aren't bad people, but it like. I think there is a talk now about how throwing that word around at any like person who is in the Trump administration or whatever kind of dilutes the term or every time you talk about like just a shitty Republican who happens to be bigoted or transphobic and call them a fascist and not that they wouldn't um, be a fascist under the right circumstances, like an actual fascist, but like, I don't know. What do you guys think? 
about calling these people fascists and like, does it help? Does it hurt? Like what's, what's sort of the limits of this? So I think it's getting thrown around a lot more loosely. At least I feel like in the past few years, probably since Trump. Yeah, I think it does. It probably, I just think it does probably like dilute it a little, but at the same time, it, it does get the attention that they probably want to get yeah. by calling someone a fascist. I mean, it's the problem with language, right? Especially when it gets instrumentalized and kind of weaponized, it kind of takes on its own meaning or, or loses all meaning. Um, the hyperbole and like the whatever demagoguery that he's applying to get the attention of the people that he's making the speech to and to get the attention of the media and then the attention of the wider people who are paying attention to the media. Yeah. It, that's, that's useful. Like it got, it, it achieved its, um, objective, I think, um, mis misclassifying people who aren't necessarily fascists as fascists is a problem, I guess, but I, you know, like as fascism operates as like a system as well as as a network of individuals that support yeah. it right like any well, like any system without fascists there's no fascism and you can not you can be not a fascist within a fascist system and kind of yes. be indistinguishable from the fascists yeah i think, but I think if you're benefiting like, from it arguably you know this also wasn't like a period where like fascist was sort of this like oh yeah remember the 19 remember like 60 years ago when they had death camps it was like no those death That's camps just now. happened like yeah. you know you saw what like you see what like the black shirts in italy were doing and like what franco's spain was like and all this shit and like so and it's I think, a nerve like, that's like very raw at this stage is. and that's what the times re rebuke or whatever touches on it's like whoa 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 like you may disagree with them but like let's not and they're not great we don't no, love them either no nobody's but... nobody's gassing yeah people in chambers here like we're talking about political rivalries here let's not you know and well, in a way in a way i understand that but i also happen to think that obviously the american empire even at this stage was very fascistic sure sure yeah right. i think you're so, right like what they had and again like despite henry's push for like better wages for workers in latin america like it's not like america hadn't been fucking around in latin america like north america had been like calling it like we just talked about it two episodes ago how much they were like knocking exactly. down governments and like doing and business mean, and government were partnering to yeah basically colonize and exploit and he this. did Henry, especially, I think like if you look at all the homework he does, I can't quote all the speeches, but he calls out like, you know, like Hitler was given money and time by people like Tissen and Krupp, like these people who these, you know, like families whose names are still on, you know, like elevators, household <laughs> appliances and elevators and shit like that, um, you know, in Germany. And like, that's where he really connected it. Like his other his then so later, um, he replied to the NYT and he said, the dangerous American fascist is the man who wants to do in the United States in an American way, what Hitler did in Germany in a Prussian way and can be encountered on wall street, main street or tobacco road. 
Some even suspect that they can detect incipient traces of it along the Potomac. And I think like he do, he does do a good job of sort of connecting it to this idea of like these people may not call themselves fascists, you know, they may not even they may not even do what the fascists are doing in Italy, but like they would give power to fascists in a heartbeat if it made them more money. And I think that was where and he, you know, he started tying it to uh, you know, like racism and to like segregation and the the you know sort of economic reasons for that, especially in the South and the political reasons. And it wasn't just domestic. Like he was like constantly being like, we're not a new British empire. We're, we're not going to be like that. I don't believe in Anglo American dominance. And Winston Churchill was like, we need to spy on this guy. This guy is up to something. He wants to, he wants to tear down what little power the British empire has left. Like Churchill fucking hated Henry Wallace. So, you know, he was doing something right. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think like this was really the part that really brought him out and made him sort of like a, a, he was again, calling out problems. Like you said, Craig, that like these people aren't necessarily fascists, but they would support fascists if it made the money, et cetera. Like, you know, I think like for whatever, maybe the rhetoric might've been a little over the top. It was like, there was a real truth to it in the sense of like, these this is a problem and we need to solve it here before we become the next one and he was right you know yeah and he was like ahead of the curve and that he was one of the first people using that you know striking that nerve that raw mm -hmm. nerve yeah and did to wes's point like did that lead to it being like a saturated like almost meaningless thing now where it's like, you know, somebody from the Tea Party would be like, you're these fascists in the White House, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the same as like somebody from Antifa or the same as like a WTO, you know, protester or something like all, everyone's kind of using it in their own context in a way. Mm -hmm. And it kind of all just blends together so that it kind of means nothing. Mm -hmm. And then it just gets like, oh, as soon as it comes up in an argument, then it's like, oh, well, you that's just what you say when you disagree with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, well, then we're not getting anywhere. Exactly. That's and I don't I think that was Henry, but I think like also he was also always very like reluctant to uh, just disavow the Soviet Union um and and communist countries that were maybe engaging in repression or whatever that i don't think it's necessary like i don't think you can actually directly compare what soviet countries did to the fascist uh death camps or anything i i don't think that necessarily you can't there aren't criticisms of them and that like they didn't that it didn't end up especially under stalin you know with a lot of innocent people just getting murdered for whatever reason but like totally but the heart of the project was not like let's go find a bunch of people to kill stalin was, didn't write a book being like, like i want to kill like, all the jews and yeah, then do it was it, like let's you know? improve things and this happened to be somehow included along the way as like well this is what you're gonna this is your trolley yeah uh, problem yeah. kind of thing right like you're gonna have to kill this many people to get this outcome but it was kind of yeah. the nazi thing or the whatever is actually yes regardless we definitely want to kill this many people and we want them to be specifically these kinds of people that, yes, want, exactly. that we want to kill it's these it's these certain and, people who can't the help outcome, who they are yeah the outcome you can't just be, give up their money and 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 start picking up a shovel and doing the work yeah, if they, they want to live and the outcome might be utopian, 
but it's very it's specifically utopian for a very limited group yes exactly which yeah. is not at the heart of whatever marxism leninism um and arguably you know i would say that in a lot of senses stalinism is closer to yeah nazism than well, to marxism leninism in in a you know a few ways in a lot of ways obviously not but i think it was also just maybe miss um misinformed and again mis like misguided. there was a giant propaganda machine dedicated to making it look as bad as the nazis well, that, that came yeah. into being around this time and that was kind of thrown in henry's face like he toured soviet asia and china talked about how great the red army was how their farms were so cool um he he was like oh i don't like this chiang kai-shek guy like this guy he's not like like he's like i saw the chinese red army i saw the communist army and i've seen the nationalists and like communists are going to win sorry guys it's not it's not even a contest and people were mad at him but he was right you know yeah. um he did like he got like a one of the gifts he got was uh, a glow-in-the-dark portrait of stalin made from radioactive paint which i always uh, wonder like what happened to that and like did that how many people yes. did that kill but that's like where is that <laughs> wow that's i mean it, probably at some point it was destroyed right because um, it was killing people <laughs> or it's like locked in a vault beneath like uh magnetogorsk or something like that now um, oh my god yes but yeah he he kind of he was also like peace that was his whole thing was like we're trying to build a peace a world peace and that yes sometimes means parlaying with your enemy and being like how can we stop the killing does that mean i will compromise on some things yes and people just weren't ready to do that, especially after World War II with anyone else that, that was sort of the enemy of America. So, uh, again, he's really not making many friends at home. He gets back from this tour. It's 1944. Roosevelt's like, you ready to do this again? And Wallace is like, you better believe I am. We're going we're gonna to do this. Fourth term's the charm, baby. And they high-fived. Um, but, yeah, the rest of the party was like, no, not with Wallace. Nope. Sorry. And uh, FDR was like, no, we're going to do it. It's going to be Wallace. And they were like, well, it's not going to be Wallace. You better pick someone else just in case. And uh, the 1944 convention rolls around and the Democrats are ready this time. They're ready. And uh, ready to Bernie him big time. There were no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they really are like <laughs> there were no formal rules about the vice president nomination at this time, really. Like it was basically like, well, if everybody's in agreement, it's going to happen. If not, someone has to bring a vote to the floor and uh, and then the votes have to come in. And so the convention was over two nights and it was kind of split into afternoon and evening segments. And you had to buy a ticket for one or the other. And um what happened was Henry really did like he had gotten like 65% of the, the, the vote count for the 1940 convention. And everyone was like, we're going to do this again. We're just going to use the people to push it through. And literally what happened was uh, the, the party, the DNC council, the DNC, the democratic national committee or whatever, the party bosses, they were like, Nope, we are going to block Claude pepper who was sort of like leading the Wallace contingent from reaching the podium to call for the vote and then once he was blocked they were like motion to adjourn motion to adjourn they adjourned and were like 
get everybody out of here. Just push them out. Just push them out. And then it's like, okay, well, push them out. And then they basically spent the rest of the evening and the next day uh, keeping, making sure that these people didn't get back in, making sure the people that did get back in were either already for Truman or for uh, Jimmy Burns was the other contender who kind of weaves in and out of this story too. He was like a long time anti-segregationist. He was a, a senator. He was a DNC chair. He was eventually made uh, Truman's secretary of state. Um, and he kind of like ended up kind of bringing Henry Wallace back in on some things. But for a long time, he was very like one of the big Democrats that was anti-desegregation. So, yeah, in the end, they got a vote and it ended up being Harry Truman, who was who was not like even like said. on anyone's radar. Like, oh, I yeah, feel he was this. like a nobody. He was basically like a guy that they could push around. That yeah. was what they were looking for. That's um, yeah, just so blatant. Especially yeah. since, like, I think in one of those docs, it was saying that they the members like whatever the boss boss guys of the DNC, they they opened up the doors during the convention just to like let people flood in. So then the fire marshal had to shut it down and say, all right, everybody out. Yeah. And then when they brought back, like, yeah, brought the people back in, that's when like Truman like wins by. Yeah. I mean, you think about like this whole idea of like, again, like I agree that like what they did to Bernie in 2020 was like bullshit. And like, it was a, it was like a last minute trick, but that was like, that looks like tame compared to this, you know, right. like they at least had a guy who was like, had some kind of sort of leftover shine yeah. from being Obama's VP who did have like, some people were like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. He seemed like a nice uncle who listens to Pantera <laughs> right. or whatever, like, <laughs> or like whatever, like, uh, yeah, I think, um, this is just like straight it's up. Like, Especially since they so had those, was, they had yeah. those Gallup polls or whatever that showed that, like 62% of the people that participated wanted and Wallace back. Part of the reason they chose Truman was because nobody knew who the fuck he was. Cause every other guy they wanted, including Jimmy Burns was like, everybody fucking hated those people. Like they were known. It was like the same thing as like, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know who like, um, like they were like the Clintons of their day. They were like, yes, mm-hmm. they had support and they had their fan base, but there was a, even a, a large number of Democrats who were like, no, I don't like those people. Those people are like everything that's wrong with this party. Do not put them in power. Like there was a growing contingent of people, especially like the democratic party at this point was like, well, we kind of need black voters. That's what, part of the reason they kept Wallace around for so long. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of need non-white voters. We need Jewish voters. We need the city voters. We are not, we are not picking up, uh, you know, as many Southern votes as we used to um, because those populations are changing. And, you know, all these all these Republicans in the South are starting to race bait and all this stuff like they're figuring out what eventually the, the Republican Party would turn into under Nixon. Uh, but Roosevelt, he was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, boo. I had to do it to you. It was just kind of like <laughs> nobody likes you anymore. And that was the other thing, like Eleanor Roosevelt like they he again henry asked eleanor roosevelt to speak again on his behalf and she wouldn't partly because he kept working with communists and it was getting harder and harder to justify in the 40s and 50s as like the communists kind of became this new enemy as the as clearly like fascism was digging its own grave in italy and germany it was like well who's the bad guy now Mm. um you know i don't like the look of this stalin guy you know he did make that pact with hitler back in the day maybe he's up to something yeah. And then they were like, all right, well, listen, you can still be in the administration. What do you want to do? And he was like, 
I want Jesse Jones's job. I want to be secretary of commerce. And they're like, all right. And basically I think what Wallace thought was like, I have time. I can, I can wait as long as, as long as, as long as uh, Teddy doesn't die, I can build my power back up under secretary of commerce. And then of course, literally within a year of being elected, FDR has a brain hemorrhage and he dies. And guess who takes his place? Truman. Truman. Um, Truman, of course, not, not as, not as great. Um, and uh, they started clashing and he, of course, immediately started rearranging the cabinet, uh, making sure all the, the patrons were in the right place, uh, listening to his uh, Missouri court friends, as it were. Henry did not like this. He was like, this guy is happy to go to war and do exactly what I'm talking about. Allow the fascists, the American fascists to make their money. Um, and he kept talking. He kept speaking out. And um in late 1945, apparently he actually met with a Soviet diplomat and was like, well, you know, this atomic bomb thing. I don't like the way it's being used. I think we should share atomic technology. You know, maybe we can use it to make the world a better place somehow. And, you know, there's also like a lot of guys in the white house now really want a war with Russia. And I don't want that. I don't want that. So we should work together on that. And the diplomat was like, yeah, sure. I'll bring it back to Stalin. And Stalin just seemed kind of like, no, we, this is good for me too. <laughs> you know, I think a little bit, um, but he kept taking shots. Um, he proposed that America reject British imperialistic policy uh, in a speech. Um, and of course, Truman had reviewed and approved the speech. Uh, he, but then Jimmy Burns shows up again and was like, this is bad. We shouldn't be doing this. The Stalin, the Soviets are evil. Stalin is evil. And Truman's like, well, you got to resign. Yeah. Well, there was like, wasn't there like actual like public backlash after he gave that speech? There was some public backlash, but it was a lot of like, again, like after some other people like Jimmy Burns whipped it up, whipped it up in the press and made a big deal of it. Right. So, yeah. Um, and he resigned because, you know, what do you do when the president tells you he wants your job, you know, gives you the pink slip. Um, but he did. He took over as editor, editor of the New Republic, uh, continued to push for peace between the USA and USSR. And, you know, there was a time where maybe he thought he could uh, beat Truman, go back into the Democratic Party. But for some reason, he decided not to do that. And there's not a lot of talk about why this eventually happened. It seems like a lot of people were pushing him to go back into the Democratic Party, including a lot of union leaders. And of course, by this point, um, Joe McCarthy started playing his tune and uh, the Red second Red Scare kind of was winding up. Um, you know, they were talking about communists being foreign agents and all this stuff. And, you know, again, there was some truth to that for various reasons. <laughs> So for some reason, Wallace goes, no, we're going to do a third party. Oh, uh, yeah. The progressive party. Okay. And um, yeah, it got a lot of attention, grabbed a lot of headlines. Not always good. Um, a lot of trade unions, civil rights activists. Pete Seeger was involved. He wrote the theme. He helped create the theme song, Passing Through which was the lyrics were like sourced in a contest uh, written by a school teacher because it was supposed to be folk music. 
Um, and one of the big things that they did during this campaign that the Democratic Party absolutely did not do was go to the South with a multiracial staff and refuse to do anything in segregated venues and fought for desegregation and talked explicitly about desegregation. The Democratic Party, yeah. And the Democratic Party was like edging around this issue. They were kind of making noises about it, but they certainly wouldn't like do anything about segregated venues in the South. um, Yeah, certainly nothing so bold. Yeah, yeah, and they needed those votes, whereas like the third party could be like, fuck it. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were like, they they were like getting threats. You know, there were like counter protests, like people outside, like, like ready to fight them, throwing things at them. And Pete Seeger talks about the story where like Wallace would go to these crowds and grab them, grab the people that's screaming at him and be like, are you an American? Are you an American? And he would just yell this in their face. Like he was basically not afraid if, if something happened to him, or at least, you know, he was like ready for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a lot of people that worked on that campaign, including Jack O'Dell, um, who would go on to be uh, leaders in the civil rights and, and work with Martin Luther King in the sixties and all that stuff. And Jack O'Dell does kind of say like, you know, this, in, this inspired and trained and like a lot of, a lot of organizers and activists for civil rights cut their teeth on Henry Wallace's progressive campaign. Yeah. I remember in that doc, it said like a lot of his uh, like staff was like fearing for their lives when he would go mm-hmm. uh, make some of those speeches. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those staff were also communists and his chief <laughs> speechwriter was uh, of course uh, accused of being part of the Ware group, which was like a, an actual group of Soviet spies. Um, right. And yeah, at this point, like, Truman is also just like, nope, nope, we don't work with communists. Communists are evil, and Henry Wallace is evil for working for them. Um, of course, then uh, there's an interesting point about all this is um, in the 40s and 50s, it was mostly com- communists, white communists that were fight were pro desegregation. A lot of white people were like either on the fence or against it but like it was communist groups that were actually organizing like sit-ins and freedom riders and they were the ones standing next to black people getting police punches and clubs in the face along with black people uh to fight for desegregation and i think you can't escape that when they're talking about communists in this period is that like there was this like well we can't we can't let the negroes integrate because like there's a bunch of communists in them and the communists just want to do this to make communism look cool to black people. And if that happens, then communists will become black people will become communists and then they'll be desegregated. And then we won't be able to stop the communists. Like I'm not racist. I'm just an anti-communist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Guys got me totally misunderstood. And uh, yeah. um, The, the progressive campaign, the progressive party barely got any votes. Uh, it was not popular. And uh, uh, Henry did kind of say, yeah, I think the communists cost us a few votes, but he never, he, the whole campaign and the whole time he was like, no, I will work with communists if they want peace. That's what I want. I want peace and peace above all else. And I, I don't agree with them. I don't believe in them, but they have rights too. Mm -hmm. And they, Joe McCarthy should leave them alone and not do this. It's un-American. Um, and I will work with them as long as they want the same things I do. So 
as opposed to Truman, who was a known racist who, you know, like there are transcripts of him, you know, using racial slurs, telling jokes. Uh, and he, he, you know, when MLK started up and Truman was still president, he called him a troublemaker and stuff like that. But, you know, after Truman was elected, um, one of the first things he did was uh, use his executive authority to desegregate the military and federal government employees. So he clearly recognized that he had to do something to sort of match Henry's rhetoric. And like, I don't know if they were exactly equal, but like, you can't discount all this stuff going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, whatever gets the outcome at the end of the day. Yeah. And it wasn't like, <laughs> obviously it's just a reaction by a reactionary yeah. politician against the more progressive like position that they see as like potentially eating their lunch. Yeah, you know, exactly. Right. And I think the like, policy gets changed. That's what matters. Yeah. And I think it wasn't like a full thing. And like, you know, again, we talk a lot about this being a big hinge point. Imagine what could have been done if like, you know, um, all the commie spies begin yeah. to run America. We could have from, actually from had communist America. We could have had, <laughs> we could have had the Lincoln hammer and sickle. Come on guys. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think like, imagine how much further along um, civil rights might have been in the 40s and 50s if uh, Henry had been vice president, you know? Yeah. What, would have, what would he have done? And he would have known, like, there is no way I'm getting reelected. There is no fucking way. So, like, what would he have done to pull Star it shot. Right? Yeah. Star shot. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, this kind of really did not help. Uh, he was very soured on politics um after this um he kind of just went back to iowa focused on farming again back to science wes yes you know. get I mean, back to know. the science where you belong henry uh, he even like kind of regretted a lot of stuff he did like he he published an article in 1952 where i was wrong called soviet communism utterly evil um, and he actually not only voted for Eisenhower in 1956, he secretly met with Richard Nixon in 1960, um, which again, you know, Tricky, I don't know. I think he was just trying to do what he could for farmers. Yeah, we don't know um, what they're talking about. And he was like, he died in, he died in 1965. So it wasn't, he was like pretty old and, and, uh, and not necessarily like able to fight Nixon in any real way. Um, in 1955 on face the nation, they were like, well, why did you do it? Why did you run on a third party ticket? What was the reason? And he said, because I wanted to make peace, the dominant issue to me that outweighed everything else. And I think that's really important when you consider post-World War II, he did not want a cold war. He did not want another war. He did definitely didn't want nuclear bombs going off. Um, mm -hmm. because he knew about all that stuff as it was happening. He was, he was, he was, uh, FDR's vice president while they were making the atomic bomb. He knew that mm -hmm. stuff was going on, right? Um, but he basically just kind of gave in to the sort of like end of history like everyone else did. Um, and yeah, he his family eventually got enough money after selling um, their companies to DuPont Chemical for like $10 billion or something like that. Nice. Uh, they created the global the wallace global fund which uh i i haven't looked into super well i haven't looked into their charity rating and everything but um they are very um, impeccable 
impeccable, <laughs> perfect, perfect free, 10 out of 10. Free creamed popcorn for all. <laughs> Where does the cream come from? That's what I want to know. Um, it's a byproduct of the popping process. <laughs> <laughs> we use napalm to pop the corn, and the result is a delicious cream like substance. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so um, the Wallace Fund has funded groups like Planned Parenthood, uh, Sunrise Movement, Working Families Organization, and the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. That's just a few. Um, their website claims our investments are 100% mission aligned, 100% free from fossil fuels, 100% environmental, social, and governance, ESG integrated, and over 20% invested in climate solutions. Unfortunately, it's managed 100%. by RBC. <laughs> Making their website a good website for marketing their funds. Exactly. Who are you know, deeply invested in Canadian fossil fuel companies. Um, you know, trampling over indigenous rights, that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm sure their investments are 100% aligned. They just, <laughs> that nice 10% goes to uh, Canadian fossil fuels. So very cool. Mm -hmm. um, in 1960, a Where Are They Now article published in the New York Times said, Mr. Wallace is occupying his time on Farview Farm with chickens, gladioli, and strawberries. There you go. Farview is in... That's a gladioli. Iowa? Yeah, this was Iowa. Oh, no, this was New York State. Um, so after he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease um, in the late 1950s, and one of the things he did was uh, volunteer himself for testing. He was like, hey, awesome. if you want to learn more about Lou Gehrig's disease, please uh, use, use me. my body to do that. Yeah. And eventually well, I'm still alive. Ignore yeah. all the corn. Yeah. <laughs> just ignore all the corn. You can work around it. <laughs> like, all right. Science, like, like doctors, like stepping over corn. Kernels just, everywhere. Just like, ah, no good. <laughs> Throws it, like hits a doctor in the head. Like, ow. <laughs> Um, but he did eventually just die of complications or directly from Lou Gehrig's disease. But, you know, um, his legacy kind of carries on. And he did something I didn't mention that he did as Secretary of Agriculture was he set up the first international agricultural research facilities mm -hmm. in Latin America. Um, he used money, of course, from the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, nice. But, you know, so one of them it. was a Mexican research station. Um, and in the 1970s, Norman Borlaug, an agronomist, won the Nobel Peace Prize for developing disease-resistant wheat at this Mexican research facility. And he was an Iowa native who grew up read reading Wallace's Farm Journal. And awesome. he attributes all that success to the Wallaces and to Henry Wallace specifically for all That's his awesome. work. That's why good. Because when you um, think about like that contribution, like he set up the facility that allowed for like this new disease resistant was it wheat or corn wheat, uh, wheat in this wheat. case but yeah i'm sure that's that's the biggest that's one because that yeah, that's a prize. more important yeah but like honestly like clearly those research facilities did a ton have done a ton for agriculture and agricultural yeah. development and like again like feeding people even if they are sort of tied up in like the capitalist system and uh speaking of the capitalist system in the late 90s DuPont Chemical bought Pioneer, Pioneer Hybrid for nearly $10 billion. Um, $10 billion. So, yeah, so he's, he did yeah. pretty good. He did pretty good for... Well, his kids did. His, his kids and capitalism. their kids did pretty good. And yeah. I think most of that money went into the Wallace Global Fund, but I don't know. 
So that brings our story of Henry Wallace, our second banana to Truman to a close. Truman, of course, uh, decided not to run. He, he won his first, he won his first ter official term. And then in 1953, he decided not to run because his administration mostly became known for corruption. <laughs> so America, unfortunately you made the wrong choice or someone in America made the wrong choice. I yeah. don't know who. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because they didn't people. have a chance to know who Truman was enough to know that they didn't want him. That was the only reason why. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. And that's why they picked him. But. But also, as you alluded to, the coalition of support behind the president like that is a lot of business owners and representatives mm -hmm. of industries who are like, yeah, you're the president. So uh, we and we made you the president. So you owe us. Exactly. That's well, what yeah. I. It's just then, a bunch of backroom dealings to like get well, a bunch and, of people promoted, and like, more so than before. I feel like the presidency became that. Yeah, especially into with the Truman. future, right? Mm -hmm. From from mm -hmm. that point onward, the presidency was like, okay, can we get a coalition of people who have enough money to win this election? Yeah, get this person yeah. elected, and then once they're in there that's yeah. our guy kind of thing and then like not the other guy who the other industries are supporting or well, maybe we're supporting them all who knows I think, if we're right. big enough, then we can do that too not not to not to belabor this point too much but fdr was the last democratic president to win the popular vote in all of his terms until barack obama hmm. and fdr was not truman he I don't, I'm not going to say he was like the best guy ever. And I agree with all his politics, but he was, he, he had, he had a politics that were like, we are going to make things better for Americans, uh, common Americans. We are going to make things better for the workers. We are going to make it possible. Nobody has to worry about being unemployed. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to fight this war. And, and then he did, he was like, we're going to do a new deal for the world. And that ended up coming undone. And unfortunately, guys like Truman and others hollowed it out and turned it into a fucking loan system that yeah, would eventually the enslave the world. <laughs> yeah. Here's the but, new deal. Me and my buddies get rich. Yeah. The <laughs> original point was we're going to make, we're going to make, we're going to make the world, we're going to, we're going to transfer wealth out to the global South and to Europe after they've been destroyed. Um, he was a guy who was like, yes, he knew he had to deal with these business guys and these fucking cigar chomping assholes in the dnc but he also was like but also talk to my buddies in the labor unions you know talk to my buddies in the communist party talk to my buddies in the farms like he 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 managed those tensions and he was sort of the uh when he died henry referred to him as the cord that held the cabinet together had snapped because that's how he did it he 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 made a coalition that managed to weld together these forces in something that could make something at least good for Americans, you know, at first. And then when he died, there was nothing holding it together. And, uh, and there was no reason, and there was nothing holding Henry Wallace in the halls of power. And unfortunately all that people power doesn't matter once the doors are closed. Cause all they'll do is like squish you against the door till you break. It's <laughs> an analogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. I don't know. Um, last thoughts guys Wes yeah I mean I feel like based on what I heard in his speeches and like what his ideals were I feel like he was one of the last 
politicians and maybe even FDR to some extent that like they didn't even necessarily care as much about being in office as they did about correcting these these issues they felt were plaguing society so it's like as long as i can accomplish this i don't even like it doesn't matter that i'm in power but if i can do this from a different position or whatever then then whatever like i don't i don't need to be president or vice president uh but i think it's that like that not necessarily drive to be in office that maybe makes a better politician or whatever the desire not to hold on to your office i guess like helps them be uh like at least have have ideals that i think are are what the people want in a president yeah well and we've talked about this before how electoralism tends to filter for a certain type of person who is conducive to that yeah maybe environment right and the smart money is then on like the kingmaker who can be the influencer who doesn't have to be a public face who can like support the right people the right way from behind the scenes and that's kind of the idea like in less progressive or let's say less grassroots um movements it's mm-hmm. it's about like how can you manipulate the levers from the right place with enough obscurity so that people don't realize that that's what you're doing right but for but for kind of um people's like a people power movement or whatever in henry wallace's kind of vein that only really happens through like legitimate apparatuses through like labor unions or through civil rights or like different things that people are already organizing to like change things through and use that or not use that but like appeal to it empower it and uh collaborate with it so that both like all all ships kind of go up right the tide rises and everyone goes up Mm -hmm. and through the combination of these movements um but to be able to do that as a front man as a person yeah you need to have that the type of personality that's going to bridge well into that electoral realm right and if you're not somebody who wants to be a glad handing like beltway insider schmoozy kind of getting along with the business folks person then you're not gonna it's not gonna work and it's i think it's really really hard it's almost impossible to appeal to the people that you need to um in you know washington or whatever in like a government and also have the ear or appeal to the to the people who actually want who are a part of these movements of the labor movements the civil rights movements etc because they're so they're so disparate they're such different groups and so to be able to operate with both of those hats on or like toggle them almost requires like a i don't know a bipolarity <laughs> that well, and, kind of excludes everyone like who, yeah. the, who can do that you're not going to be able to do it let alone seem authentic when you're doing it I think um, something they really pointed out was like, on one hand, the Progressive Party was full of communists that really turned average voters off from voting for them. On the other hand, um, they were like some of the the most biggest people in the campaign. Like they were vital to the campaign functioning, and they were also doing the work that that the Progressive Party was fighting for. And it was like 
one of those things where it's like, sometimes when you're fighting for what's right, um, it's, it's not necessarily the most popular thing either. And if you, there's like, like you said, Craig, it's like getting these groups together is one thing, getting them to stay together is another thing. And this was a time where those things were set up and ran well, they were well-oiled machines. Like even the American communist party was like a thing with, with thousands and if not millions of members and, you know, all these civil rights groups and the unions were at their most radical. And then it literally started with Truman and, and McCarthy. They started like putting pressure on the leaders and, and getting the communists out of positions of power and replacing them with like, you know, people who basically were like Henry and who were, or a little more even further to Henry's right, where they were like, yeah, we shouldn't have communists in power. Like communists shouldn't are not American. We can't have them in the country. Um, and it starts to become this thing of like, we don't even have those machines today. Like those machines have been smashed for a lot of those progressive and left leftist and communist and socialist and stuff. And, and it's just like, Henry was like a unique figure who could bring these things together because he was like, he wouldn't shut the fuck up. But again, that worked against him in the press. Uh, yeah. It was and, a bad time to have that, like no holds bar approach. Yeah. To like, I don't care who I associate with as long as we get the result that we need. But it was also necessary to get him that far. It's like, and it's the same thing that the Republican Party kind of faces today on the opposite end of the spectrum where like they need to keep going further right and owning the libs more to get these like people who don't ever leave their fucking computers other or Fox News or whatever to vote for them again. But that makes them it harder for them to win general elections. Now they have the gerrymandering and stuff, but it's like this, this was kind of a similar thing where it was like, you had to be a little more rhetorically left of the democratic party to make a difference, if not a lot, but that also hindered you when it came to the general populace or whatever. So, but again, like we can't deny that all the stuff he did pushed everything further along more so than if he wasn't there either. Like he did, he did what he could in a lot of cases when he could, you know, like would Truman have desegregated the military and the federal government if it wasn't for Henry Wallace? I don't know. You know, would we yeah. have international research projects? Would we have, um, what was the other big thing? Um, uh, yeah, like the, the entire, the farming system was completely transformed and made into the, the sort of powerhouse that it was that no other, like even Europe was just like for decades, their farming was just not anything like the American farming system and couldn't push out that kind of food or whatever. Right. It's just like, he did so many things um, that pushed, you know, did, did do good. And he did it against, and he did pushed against everything to do it. So you also look at him and it's like inspiring, but it's also like a cautionary tale of like the dangers of, of rousing the forces that want to keep making money and getting, get and getting their eyes set on you too. Fat cats. You also have those fat cats in the background. Yeah. We got to get rid their of their strings. Those are the guys we got to do something about. I'm, um, um, I'm really compelled by, I guess it would be the irony, but it's almost too on the nose. But that, so um, a potential progressive political sensation in America whose association in his like organizing efforts towards political towards his political ends ended up being poisoned by close association with communists also happened to have 
a portrait given to him, which was literally painted with radioactive paint and poisoned people who were around it. And <laughs> this was something that this person owned and like, I would guess displayed in their home. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't, I, there's no, like, I, again, it's possible. Any like a lot of this stuff is like interesting facts. I picked up from one or two articles that were often like trying to show how like he shouldn't, he shouldn't have hung out with all those communists. It was bad of him to do that. Right. Like that was kind of the point this article was making again, I will say a lot of the written sources, uh, especially the the New Yorker profiles, um, were went pretty hard on the 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 he shouldn't have hung out with the communists thing, right? So that's definitely interesting. But yeah, I think that's a really good point, Craig. Like he uh, he you couldn't write this stuff. Yeah, you couldn't make it up. It's maybe maybe like if David Chase wrote it, he he would have figured that out, but. No, most TV shows wouldn't be able to handle that. I would like to see a TV show about Henry Wallace. I think that would be good. Um, I wonder if he'll show up in the Oppenheimer movie. I doubt that, it. That Christopher Nolan movie. Yes, Christopher Nolan, famous for being very left. <laughs> yeah. Left wing. Well, I assume uh, they'll show a lot of opposition to it. Oh, I just maybe, wonder yeah. who those voices will be. Yeah. But yeah, Henry Wallace, American anti-fascist. Um, yeah, really compelling. I mean, cool. his his Head lib- of his time. His libness. Yeah. His libness. But, very very but progressive. He, he was kind of, he fit in where he could. He was a lib I could respect. You yeah, know? exactly. He, did, he didn't seem like he was afraid to like abandon his class position in and, favor of his larger goals. And you can see how, how his, his unique position in American culture and, and class society put him in that place to be able to do those things right like both like to give him those the ability to kind of be a little bit of a class trader but also to be sort of like uh give him the freedom to be the face of that movement that like you know a a jewish worker from new york couldn't be you know and couldn't have that same appeal to that maybe they can now in the modern day so yeah but yeah, um, I think just one of those, again, like I think most importantly, what could have been, it's just an absolute mm-hmm. like timeline breaks off mo- here moment yeah. that you can't, just, you can't yeah. deny. But just imagine if like this was like the fact that he was such kind of a lib still, like he was still like, yeah, you know, American exceptionalism is still something that I believe in. It's just not to the same extent as the other candidates yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But like there were, imagine if there were candidates that were even more, like even further left. Well, and yeah, were like well, actually, like you know, Wallace with his exceptional, exceptionalist ideas, like blah blah blah, and you could tack left of him and exactly it, the fact that the he's in the mix exactly just makes it all that much more or much less reactionary much less yeah like retrograde but yeah it's not the it's not the corner that the country turned nope um and we'll always wonder about it but in the meantime uh you can check out some of our sources we'll link them in the description um the big one was of course uh the fight for the soul of the democratic party by john nichols which verso books published in 2020 
Um, there was an, a profile in the New Yorker in 2013 called Uncommon Man. Um, and then a lot of video sources. Um, there's a PBS documentary from 2004. Uh, the Real News did a segment that was related to, and they uh, interviewed one of the producers of Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States, uh, which there's also an episode about, kind of about Henry Wallace. It's about a lot of other things too, but he's definitely the whole idea of him being a, a, a could have been is very on there. Um, and a few other ones um, that again, will all be linked in the description. If you're interested in learning more about Henry, please check those out. Um, in the meantime, we're going to sign off for now. Uh, thank you as always for listening to second bananas. Uh, you can find us um, on Twitter and Instagram. We're at the number two bananas pod. You can email us with suggestions, uh, secondbananaspod at gmail.com. Please, if you are listening and you like the show, uh, and take a, take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, share these episodes with your friends and your family. Uh, it would really help us out. Um, as for me, I'm Joe. You can find me. I'm at toad underscore rat on Twitter and at stop Joe now on Instagram. Wes? Uh, yeah, you can find me. I am at W2Dubs on Twitter and at Wes Walcott on Instagram. Craig, you want to be real? You can find me at the art gallery testing all of the portraits for radioactive paint. Yeah, every art gallery. It's a big job, but somebody's got to do it. Only the portraits, though. I don't give a shit about landscapes. Yeah, fuck that shit. Landscapes can be radioactive. We'll, we'll allow it. Get out of here. Ah. <sighs> Well, have a good night, everyone. We'll see you next time on Second Bananas. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks all.